Welcome to the Invest It Best podcast, a show about investing and financial markets, where you'll hear from some of Australia's top investment analysts and fund managers about their views on the market. The Invest It Best podcast is brought to you by Wilson, one of Australia's leading financial advisory firms with a proud and successful history spanning over 125 years. All information discussed in this podcast is for general information purposes only and does not constitute investment advice. You should seek investment advice tailored to your circumstances before making any investment decision. Further disclosures follow at the conclusion of the episode. This is the Invest It Best podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Invest It Best podcast. We had a lot of great feedback on a previous episode of the show where we zoomed in on a growing Australian company called Silk Laser. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to check it out in the back catalogue. On that episode, we discussed how Silk Laser grew from the very early days, being a group of mates that opened up a a laser hair removal store in Adelaide into becoming a publicly listed company on the ASX. Some of the feedback from that episode was that listeners enjoyed it for a few reasons. In particular, they knew very little about this growing industry and weren't even aware of the success that this Aussie company was having right on their doorstep. So I thought, let's do a similar episode where we zoom in on another company achieving a lot in their respective industry. Once again, you may not be aware of them or even the industry they operate in. So for this episode, we're speaking with Mark Washburn, the co-founder and CEO of ReadyTech. Mark, welcome to the Invest at Best podcast. Thank you so much, Ted, for inviting me on. I'm really excited to talk to you. Well, uh, I'm excited too. Let's get straight into it. You're a tech business, but as I touched on in the intro, not all tech businesses get the media exposure, such as the likes of uh, Afterpay and Zero Receive. So for those listening in right now, they may not be familiar with ReadyTech. Mark, can you tell us a bit about your business? Yeah, absolutely, Ted. So look, ReadyTech is, is really uh, a mission-critical software-as-a-service company. Uh, we, uh, we operate across a range of, of verticals. I think that makes us quite unique in some ways. Uh, and, uh, and those really key verticals for us are education, workforce, uh, government and justice. And you know, we really provide a, a really uh, vertical solution that really closely meets the needs of customers in those markets. Uh, and uh, I think really the magic of the business is, though across these different industries, the, the needs of customers are, are very different. Uh, and require really deep expertise. Uh, what do we do across all of these? And really the, the magic or our secret sauce at ReadyTech is, is we underpin uh, these products with really a range of what we think are, are really the great practices to run a software as a service company. So uh, that's all areas, including software, software development, uh, product strategy, uh, enterprise sales, uh, marketing, uh, they, they all underpin, they're really undifferentiated uh, despite the differences across the different markets. So yeah, that's who we are, Ted. Okay, thanks for that. You mentioned the, the many verticals and you have a diversified tech business. But before we kind of go down all of those pillars to the, the business that ReadyTech is today, we might go back to the very beginning, if that's okay, and discuss yeah. the initial problem that you identified and wanted to solve. So can you tell us a bit about early days, correct me if I'm wrong, back in the late 90s and the problem that you're looking to solve back then? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'll go back to the, the start and the genesis of the company. And, and look, I arrived here in Australia in, in 99 
from the UK and uh, I'd actually been working at developing software in the UK for a few years. I had, had some time working at Apple, it was a great experience, uh, but I'd really landed on the fact that I wanted to start a company uh, and I wanted to build a product and, and one that I think that really could have an impact. And fortuitously enough, I, I met another guy here, here in Sydney, uh, who had very similar thoughts. Uh, we ended up becoming partners and, uh, and look, his name's Ken Shepard and I'm eternally grateful uh, that I met him because he'd actually come across an opportunity to build a product uh, in a market, which is really the, the back to work market here in Australia, in, in employment programs. Uh, and that first product we called Job Ready. And so, look, I think those first few years were a really formative time for the company. It was a great time when I traveled all over Australia and we used to go to really directly onto customer sites and I would literally be developing the software while interacting with users you know, very directly on the front lines. And, and these users were, were case managers, you know, they were working with, with job seekers, helping to get them back into the workforce effectively. So look, I'd, I'd listen to their problems, devise solutions, watch them interact with the technology. And you know, these are areas such as more eff efficiently matching job seekers to jobs and using data to inform that. And, uh, and look, I think the really awesome thing was that right in front of my eyes, you know, the, the technology that we were building was, was truly helping people. It was literally improving lives. And, uh, and it was just like, wow, how, how good is this? And, uh, and so, you know, they were really the formative parts of the company. I think, you know, we learned a huge amount from that period. And I think now still, you know, everything is really about a customer problem, designing a solution, uh, building it. Uh, getting feedback and iterating, and, and we're still doing that now on, on a much larger scale. So I think we've really embedded that into our culture, which is which is listening really closely to our customers. Mark, you, you've made that sound quite easy. Let's go back to 1999. You've moved to Australia from the UK. How old were you at this time? Uh, yeah, no, I was in my early 20s at the time. Yeah, so yeah, look, I was uh, I was pretty young, and uh, and looked at. I think the first few years were were obviously very challenging uh, because uh, we actually bootstrapped the company. We never raised any capital. You know, in those early days, you know, this is going back to, to 99, 2000, you know, the, the venture capital market, it was nowhere near as mature as it is now uh, in terms of funding for tech companies. It was very, very common to bootstrap, you know, and, and, and that's very much what we did. And so the first few years, I think, you know, it's often described as, as crossing the chasm uh, to sort of get to the other side uh, to start to scale the business. So look, I, the first few years, we did everything, you know, I was software developing customer support, customer onboarding, training. We did sales, we did the marketing, send the invoices, wash the coffee cups. So uh, look, again, a really valuable time because across that, you know, I got to really deeply understand every role in the company. Uh, and I think that became enormously helpful as, as we've scaled. You know, I've obviously been able to relate to, to every role, uh, you know, from, from, from those really formative years. Fascinating what Ken must have seen in you, Mark, to, you know, back, back when you're 21, 22, new to Australia, for him to partner up. So it's, it's a testament to what you've been able to achieve so quickly. The other aspect that I, I feel like I just want to kind of pause on before we, we go ahead is starting a tech business in 1999. The dot-com bubble burst, uh, <laughs> what, 12, 24 months after that. Can you tell us a bit about that period and if it impacted your business? Yeah, look, really interesting. Uh, I'd say probably not really, because again, uh, you know, we had very much been been bootstrapping. And, you know, when I look, I think I look back at that period and, you know, I think in many ways that was just so beneficial 
because it really meant that from the start we ha- we had no choice. We had to be break even. Uh, we had to be profitable very quickly. You know, there was really no no option but to do that. Uh, and I think that became really part of our DNA. You know, we've always been very considered uh, about every dollar of investment. And and the what became the inherent profitability in the business allowed us to to drive and sell fund investments in further growth and, and new areas. So from that first product in back to work, we were able to effectively uh, become market leader and start to use uh, funds uh, from the success of that product to, to build out further products. You know, we built a, a, a product for the apprenticeship market. And then later, you know, what became a very successful system was a, a student management system for education providers. So really, you know, self-funded uh, for many, many years uh, along that journey. Yep. And we'll, and we'll be speaking with that shortly. But before we, we kind of touch on the, the many pillars to what makes up ReadyTech um, right now. I just want to touch on the fact that you've been quite active with acquisitions over the years and often working with other founders. So as you've grown from a cultural point of view, how has this process been? That's uh, no, an absolutely fascinating area. So, you know, maybe just to sort of fast forward before I come back to that sort of founder question, you know, another really important step for the company is, you know, my co-founder, Ken, he actually stepped away in 2016 to retire. And, and at that time, I took the decision to, to partner with, with private equity. Uh, and that really became the, uh, the genesis of, of the, uh, the start of our acquisition strategy. And for the first time, we had access to capital, but also expertise uh, to pursue acquisitions. And, and that was really about expanding further this product set. Uh, you're right, we made a number of acquisitions. And so, you know, at ReadyTech, uh, we were able to, to grow that, that set of software as a service products, you know, across this sort of horizontal uh, capability, uh, as I mentioned earlier. So look, to answer the question, uh, we love founder-led businesses. Uh, I think as a founder myself, I think I, I understand that mindset, you know, the, the founder mentality as it's often called. And I think what you invariably see in a founder is is someone who really deeply understands and and really cares for their customers and but also for their people you know these are just such great assets in a business leader but but often on the other hand they they might have been constrained in certain ways you know in running this smaller company and that might have been in terms of access to capital or or capability or you know for new ideas and so we really look to resolve that uh, you know we we empower the founders to continue to drive their business, but really help them and support them to op- optimize the growth opportunity. And, you know, we've seen this model time and time again to be extremely effective. So yeah, working with founders, Ted, it's, it's been awesome. It's been fun. We've got to work with some, you know, a whole range of founders who, you know, are often really amazing personalities with, with great stories uh, about their own, their own journey and building their businesses. Yeah, well, I know that when you're investing alongside a, a founder who has a lot of skin in the game, the motivations are aligned there to absolutely to grow a great key business. part of the model. Absolutely yeah. right. Yeah. Okay, let's jump into uh, some of these pillars which I, I've touched on earlier. Probably best to start off with education, which you, which you've already mentioned. Mark, tell us a bit about this pillar. Yeah. So look, the the core platform within the education segment is a student management system and. And this is a student management system for, for tertiary education. Uh, so tertiary education, really think of that as everything that's post K-12. You know, we, we have, uh, we're a market leader with, with colleges, um, technical colleges, uh, higher education, 
universities, uh, most, most recently the last few years uh, working in the TAFE sector. Uh, you know, effectively for education providers, this is a business management system. Uh, you know, it supports the entire student journey from student acquisition, um, enrollment, timetabling, grading, graduation. A really growing trend that we're seeing in education is, is connecting students to a job outcome. You know, it's connecting students increasingly to employability, it's a really interesting trend. Uh, and I think what we've really focused on for many years now is, is how can we make the student management system, you know, this underlying technology, improve the student experience uh, and also enhance the chances of, of that student being successful. So one example of that uh, innovation that we've brought is, is, is really using that data in the system to pinpoint by way of example students that might be at risk of dropping out uh, and, uh, and then timing and automating interventions uh, to, uh, to help those students and support those students to continue to be successful. So you know, effectively we are really bringing a, a, a deeper intelligence uh, to this technology platform and, and all of that goes together to, to drive better outcomes for the education sector. Are you able to share how many um, clients, such as you know TAFEs and universities, you have that that use your offering? Yeah, no, absolutely. So as I said, we're a market leader with uh, with with private uh, vocational providers. Uh, we have over twelve hundred customers uh, that are all using uh, the uh, student management system in our stable. Uh, and uh, you know, in the recent years, we've we've started to to win uh, in the university uh, and uh, and TAFE sector. So uh, we won a significant contract with part of the University of Queensland. That was somewhat of a breakthrough. We we also uh, won a contract, a very significant uh, contract win with the Bendigo and Kangan Institute uh, in Victoria. Uh, and so uh, we are uh, uh, continuing to penetrate that upper end of the market, what we consider the enterprise end, uh, which is TAFEs and universities. And uh, there's a, a huge amount of runway for growth there, which we are very excited about. Um, education and students, like many different parts of the economy, has certainly been impacted by COVID. I'm interested, Mark, as someone that is working at the coalface of this, if we kind of step back from ReadyTech for a, for a moment, have you got a view on what the future of education may look like considering the impacts of the last two years? Wow, yeah, like that's such an interesting area, the future of education. I think, you know, arguably in many ways, uh, you know, before COVID anyway, uh, where everything went remote you know, very, very quickly and within a week and, you know, international students uh, weren't able to, uh, to arrive in Australia. You know, in many ways, the, the education sector is has changed quite little fundamentally uh, compared to many other sectors. So look, if I think if there's one, one big trend uh, that I'd call out in education, it's this shift that we'll see, I think very, very, very clearly towards, towards lifelong learning. And, you know, this is really the notion that with accelerating change in terms of, of technology, we will all need to, to commit to upskilling and, and reskilling and throughout our careers and, and, and obviously potentially have multiple careers. Uh, and not just see that really large upfront commitment to learning now that often happens in either vocational and, and higher ed. So look, we think that's the really big macro trend. Uh, we're placing some bets there. You know, a, a key part of our strategy in the student management system is, is we've actually to build a, an open ecosystem. And this is really, I think, a move away from thinking about technology systems as, as a large ERP one system that does everything you know what we are uh, really working to do is to allow the edtech community you know other uh, edtech providers 
to actually build against our technology backbone, which is the, obviously the, the core student record system, the student management system. And you know, we think that's going to be very scalable. We also, we also see that opening up in this way to fresh innovation you know, will allow our customers to access that. And they're going to be seeking a whole range of new ways to service these new cohorts uh, in this model of lifelong learning with very, very varying student needs. So, so look, yeah, I think um, that's a trend we see that we're backing and our, and our team are, are particularly enthusiastic about the vision uh, for what an open ecosystem can do in, in this sector. Let's go back to another pillar of ReadyTech and move on to, to government. Can you tell us a bit about what you're doing there and the, and the problems you solve? Yeah, no, absolutely. So in the in the government space, you know, it's really interesting. The the really key market for us is is local government, and and there, you know, we really we provide a, a total solution. Uh, a local government or a council provides a, a huge range of of services uh, to the to citizens within their community, and and that's what we look to support. There's over 500 councils in Australia. Uh, it's a it's a big market. And, and the real differentiator here, and, and, and really I think what we're seeing and the problem that we're solving is we're really really leading on a strategy to have a, a more citizen-centric approach for local government. And, and what I mean by that is really putting the citizen at the, at the heart of the, of, of the technology system. So look, previously, you know, older systems, they've, they were really property-centric. And of course, the, the core business of council is, is, is collecting rates. And, and it was not really possible to see a, a 360 degree view of the citizen or connect up all those services uh, that were being consumed by that individual. So uh, over time, you know, community expectations have changed. There's an expectation for, you know, better experience and a digital experience to interact with, with your local council. Uh, there's a shift in local government towards a better customer experience. So we're meeting that need. And, and I think we see this across all our sectors, uh, education, uh, we see it in workforce, in, in the justice space and access to justice uh, is, is really the silver thread that runs through everything is that, you know, we, we're living in the age of the customer. You know, there's an expectation of a, of a really great customer experience. And, and that's really what we're, what we're looking to solve for in, in local government. Fair to say, local council, local government, their core competence isn't tech. So uh, problems you can solve for them, I'm sure would be greatly appreciated. All right, let's move on to third pillar, workforce solutions. Overarching theme here that you actually touched on at the start is mission critical software. So can you provide some examples of workforce solutions and, and, and why they're mission critical? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I think really workforce solutions is is really effectively a workforce management platform. You know, this is a, this is a platform that manages a rostering uh, and uh, areas such as payroll is really the core of the platform uh, and HR. And you know, if there's one thing that you know one of the most mission critical things in any company is ensuring that uh, that people are paid on time <laughs> and they're paid right uh, or uh, you know everything else doesn't really work in the company so uh, so i think that is about as mission critical as it gets uh, but um, look our, our focus is very much on what we call the stand up economy uh, and uh, and that's industries where with jobs where people effectively are standing up to work. Uh, so uh, this means very specific needs around managing workforce, for example, shift-based work. There's often a lot of complexity around uh, managing areas such as awards. Uh, and I think uh, COVID's probably been a, a, just a great example of how uh, the software can, can adapt to changing environments. Obviously, in the COVID period, things have moved very fast in terms of the need to, to manage and, and support people. 
Uh, and uh, I think it's been a great example of the benefit in, in having a cloud-based platform. You know, we've been able to deploy updates very quickly. You know, by way of example, you know, you talked about mission critical. Uh, many customers um, who were accessing JobKeeper, uh, of course, was actually going through their payroll systems through what's called single touch payroll. So, um, you know, payroll arguably has become even more mission critical than ever. And another area that's been really interesting over the last 18 months uh, has been uh, a, a really great example of, I think, of where we've architected a system to be configurable by customers to, to build their own business rules and their own forms, for example. So that has enabled customers to adapt very quickly. Uh, so by way of example, customers have been able to configure the technology to capture vaccine certificates. Uh, and then uh, businesses have been able to only allow people to be rostered on who, who have been vaccinated. So look, I think this has been a great example of where cloud-based technology and the right architecture can, can really shines when you know, there's un the unforeseen happens and you need to adapt quickly and you need to adapt on the fly. Yeah, I, I think it is fascinating. And as we did with education and shift focus to, to where the industry or the sector is going, have you, have you got a view on what, say, the, the future of what payroll may look like? Do you think daily pay is something that um, could actually come at some stage? Yeah, absolutely, Ted. It's definitely coming. Um, you know, I think it's another just another fascinating area to explore. I think if there's, if there's one word uh, that really defines what technology can do with payroll, it's, it's choice. And, you know, in so many areas of our lives, technology is, has really enabled that better choice and also, you know, that personalized experience. And, you know, our view is, is that payroll will be no different. You know, so right now, the vast majority of people are paid weekly, fortnightly or monthly, you know, why, why is that? You know, why can't people have more control over that? So, you know, if you think about, I think Gen Z, you know, have, have really grown up uh, with that immediacy, you know, why should I wait three weeks? I've just finished my shift. So, uh, you know, so there might be lots of other choices as well in terms of easier control over pay and superannuation contributions or salary sacrifice. You know, there's discussions now around where the salaries, you can have a choice to pay some of your salary into crypto. Uh, you know, so I think we see in, you know, in the war for talent as well, we see pay uh, could become a great opportunity uh, for employers to sort of differentiate the employee experience. And so we're going to see innovation, just as we've seen, I think, in fintech. And then, of course, I think what we should expect to see is a step up in regulation to protect people. Uh, so, um, you know, I think in payroll, on one hand, you've, you'll see this frontier of innovation. And on the other hand, I think we see more and more scrutiny on, on paying people right. You know, we've had a lot of underpayment scandals the last few years. And, and in our experience, very, very rarely has this been deliberate on behalf of employers. It's often been due to a, a really a kind of set and forget attitude uh, towards payroll. And, you know, we think that over time, that firstly, as more and more scrutiny on paying people right, you know, we'll also see more proactive nature in terms of dealing with uh, with payroll. So that's the three pillars to, to ReadyTech. Now let's shift to when you took the company public. Wilsons were involved in the, the ReadyTech IPO and a, and a colleague of mine actually recalls at the time so many tech businesses had these huge valuations and without actually any underlying profitability. And, he, and here you were coming to market with a, with a tech business that was profitable that we touched on. Can you provide some insight on how you found the IPO process? I think, uh, in a word, extraordinary, uh, most extraordinary experience. It was 2019. You know, it's a very, very unique experience. And very, very grateful for the for the great work uh, that the Wilsons team did in, in helping us to get there. 
look, it's a uh, it's a challenge to step into a whole new world and a, and a whole new environment. And, and, and I loved it. You know, I loved uh, I really relished that challenge. You know, I think it went well because we did surround ourselves with really awesome people and awesome support. So, you know, I include Wilson's in that. A, a lot of experienced people joined us, no less, you know, really important here, an absolutely fantastic CFO in Namesh Shah. Uh, we have a great and experienced board. Uh, but look, it's a, it's a big job to run an IPO. And, you know, I think on the record, I'd also just like to thank my wife, Kristen, who probably didn't see me much for six months. Uh, but um, look, why, why it was uh, so attractive to us as a management team was the status that comes uh, with 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 being a listed company, you know, it's it, it's the trust that it affords, and a really key strategy for us has been about pursuing large enterprise software contracts, and I think that's played out well. Uh, I think there's a piece here where there is a, an attraction uh, piece for talent when it comes uh, to being listed, and what it says about us in a company. I think that's been very beneficial. So. Uh, look, it's, it's been great. It brings a lot of discipline. We've really embraced that, I think, in a positive way. Um, it was a big test for the company. Uh, that first year is, is a transitional year. And I think, you know, I feel like we passed that with flying colours. Uh, so look, I'm, I'm really glad we did it and, and took the company public. Yeah, the IPO in 2019, as you said, probably many investors not aware of ReadyTech at the time, but uh, market has certainly discovered ReadyTech uh, at the time of recording the share price up well over 100% in, uh, in just two years. Let's move across to the growth of the business over the years. It's one thing to come up with a great business idea, such as uh, as you and Ken did, but it's another to grow it to where you are today. Can you provide some insight uh, from the early days uh, and the challenges you faced in, in growing the business? Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I think about, in some ways, I think about that we've been through three phases in, in growing the company. And I think that the uh, the first phase was uh, was when there were two and three and, and five people and uh, we were kind of doing every job uh, and um, and working across everything and, 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 and every role. Over time, you know, we, we grew the business and we have, uh, you know, around 50 people. And I think there, you know, it's another stage of the company where you can more or less put your arms around everyone and, and still mostly be across everything that's happening. Uh, and then, of course, the, the business grows to, you know, as we have um, been very fortunate to grow to three and 400 people now. Uh, and, uh, and that's a whole other set of, of skills and a, a different way of, of thinking about and managing the company. So, you know, I think it's, uh, it's probably a, a, a cliche, uh, Ted, but it's a very true one that I think an important part of that has been uh, to shift more and more to be working on the business and, and not in the business. And, and over time, as you become a public company to be working above the business, you know, you become the outward face of the company, you know, you know the cheerleader for the company uh, and, uh, and telling that story. You know, I, I think an important switch, you know, that I personally have had to make uh, through that journey has been from moving away from, you know, actually doing the work uh, and, and understanding that you can't be everywhere. You know, you have to accept that. So it's in the process of putting your trust into others, empowering those people around you to do the best work of their lives. And uh, look, I really have a, a great believer in the more that you back people and empower them and, and not interfere, uh, while also ensuring accountability is in place, you know, invariably you know, very talented people that achieve more than, than you think is possible. So uh, that's been a, a big part of our success um, and, uh, and hiring the best possible talent uh, uh, and also services. You know, last year, 
Uh, we've uh, last few years, we've built, I think, a really great bench uh, in our exec team. Uh, we've engaged specialists to manage areas such as IR and, 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 and company secretary, obviously really important in, in the public company environment. So, you know, I think lastly, I'd, I'd say on that growth journey, I think a really important part of it is, is, is just taking that time out, you know, as a leader to and stop doing, you know, it's, it's okay to stop doing, doing, uh, and just pause the, take the time for reflection and, and really think uh, about the business. I think that's, you know, consider that as an important part of your job. Yeah, quite fascinating. Mark, I think you're being humble about your achievements as, you know, your skills and development over the years has, has, has changed very much from someone, no doubt, on the tools, bootstrapping this business into, as you're now doing, um, head of a publicly listed company. So um, testament to what you've been able to achieve in um, just over 23 years. Now, another project that I'm interested to talk to you about is you also have a podcast related to, to yeah. Retech. Um, now, the, the, the podcast is called The Worked. Sorry. Yeah, the podcast is called uh, Worked. Thanks for the plug, by the way, Ted. This is fantastic. <laughs> podcast is called Worked by ReadyTech, yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed <laughs> your episode where you spoke with Sarah Kaplan because uh, I saw that it was on education my wife um, is thinking about moving across to a, a different industry. Yeah, I found that fascinating. Mark, tell me why you wanted to start this podcast. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I love doing the podcast. And uh, <laughs> I, I think it's really about it comes from a place of curiosity. Uh, you know, it comes from a place of loving the interplay of, of ideas and, you know, thinking about new ideas and, you know, I th when we th thought about starting the podcast, you know, and, and, and you've talked a lot. Ted and ask questions, uh, many questions about what's what's going on and changing in our sectors. You know what's what's really happening over the longer term, and you know, many of our customers, I think, are grappling with that. You know, what does the future look like? How to navigate the future? And you know, I've I've always thought it's an important part of our our job as a technology company to help guide our our customers and our stakeholders and and our partners through that. So uh, I think really the whole idea of the podcast is is to be able to get access to really great. And original thinkers and, and bring those ideas to life uh, in that discussion format. And uh, yeah, it's been a, a fantastic project. Okay. Do you have a favorite guest so far? If someone is oh. interested in, no, you've got to pick one, Mark. Oh, Ted. If someone is interested, where, where do you suggest that they? Um... That's a hard one. Yeah. It's like you're asking me to pick my favorite child. So, <laughs> but look, I, I, I will, I will stick my neck out and, and I'll, I'll actually say that, uh, if you uh, go to look for the Worked podcast by ReadyTech and, and look for a podcast with a guy called Tom Moore uh, from a company called With You With Me, uh, Tom is uh, Tom is an amazing entrepreneur. I think you're going to hear a lot more about him. I've had the great pleasure of getting to know him, and uh, I really admire him. and And, and this is really uh, this is really a story of a guy that uh, that worked in the military and and, and had a transition back into the mainstream workforce and, and a very challenging one. And so what Tom has built in a very purposeful way is a company that actually helps uh, people from the military veterans uh, transition into digital skills and, you know, starting in areas such as cyber and, and data analytics. And um, look, it's really worth worth a listen. It's, it's a great uh, story of, of struggle and purpose. And so, uh, yeah, but thanks again for plugging the podcast, Ted. I really appreciate it. Oh, no worry. Well, uh, people listening into this uh, with a podcast, so fair to say we're, we're preaching to the converted. Uh, any other shows you like listening to? Listen to a lot. I listen to a lot. I think if I, if I had to pick one show that I keep going back to, it's, it's Masters of Scale. 
And uh, now this is a podcast for those don't know uh, that don't Reed know. Hoffman? Reed, Reed Hoffman. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously co-founder of LinkedIn. And um, and look, every episode of that, you know, I end up taking away something. Uh, there's so many, uh, you know, little gems in there. And so I think it re- really helps in thinking through a lot of those problems in, in managing growth. You know, it's obviously a, a big part of the success of technology companies. And, and many of those are, are very relatable. So you know, I always remember there's a, a particular episode um, uh, with uh, the founder of Airbnb, right? And um, Brian Chetsky and, and, uh, and had a really simple idea of entrepreneurship. It just really resonated with me and it stuck with me. And, 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 and Brian says something along the lines of, um, you know, entrepreneurship is all about building something people love and that they will tell others about. And uh, I just totally buy into that. And you know, I think that we've uh, we've looked to do that across a, a, a multiple products here. And so, uh, yeah, no, Masters of Scale, I think I'd, I'd pick that one, Ted. I totally agree, because it's not only is Reid um, fascinating, but it's a really well-produced and put-together podcast as well. Absolutely. Um, now, Mark, to finish, uh, let's go back to ReadyTech. What does the future of ReadyTech look like? Um, that's my favourite question that you've asked. <laughs> yeah, uh, look, I'd, uh, I'd I'd say the the best is ahead of us. You know, I think that we have uh, uh, to coin another phrase by Jeff Bezos. You know, I think we've always really tried to maintain that idea of it's day one, uh, and uh, and 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 that it's uh, that it's all ahead of us, and to sort of keep that um, you know that relentless pursuit of of new innovation and new opportunities. So you know, I think because we do have this quite unique position that we don't limit ourselves to one one market or you know one SaaS market we work across a range of sectors you know we are we're really providing an enabling technology to help customers transform uh, for the better uh, and uh, we have the opportunity to lead that across you know a range of sectors so you know that's really a great privilege i think we see waves of digital transformation to come and you know the opportunity for what we have built which is a range of next generation technology and the impact for that you know is is just so profound uh, that we have an ambitious team we've set ourselves a target to achieve 125 million dollars uh, in revenue organically uh, by fy26 so look um yeah just enormously excited to the future i i i, I get to work with incredible people every day uh, we have a saying here at ReadyTech is that we're ready for anything. And, and really, that's our, our rallying cry. So it's, uh, yeah, it's very exciting to be leading that. Well, looking forward to watching on uh, from afar as, as you and your team set out to achieve this. Uh, Mark, it's been fascinating. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you very much for taking the time to chat on the Invest at Best podcast. Thanks so much for the discussion, Ted. Really enjoyed it. This podcast has been prepared by Wilson's. Wilson's has not independently verified any of the information given in this podcast. All effort is made to ensure information was accurate at the time of recording. No reliance should be placed on this podcast in making any investment decision and past performance is no indication of future performance. The directors of Wilson's advise that they and persons associated with them and Wilson's may have an interest in financial products referred to in this podcast.